Welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. You can engage with us on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Twitter at counter underscore podcast, and on our website, www.counterthought.captivate.fm. Let's go. Hey everyone, it's Brian. This is episode 29 of Counterthought, Epidemic of Mental Health in Teenagers. I am joined here with my co-host, my wonderful co-host, Jess. Hello. This is our second ever episode as co-hosts in this new format. So we hope after the first episode, y'all have y'all enjoyed our first episode, episode 28. Um, I wonder how many more times I can say episode yeah. in a sentence. Um <laughs> But we hope you enjoyed episode 28. It was kind of a mixture of, you know, kind of hitting the reset button for Counterthought and an introduction to how everything's going to work moving forward. And also, you know, our topic of discussion for the episode. But this episode is dedicated 100% to the epidemic of mental health in teenagers. And this is the first episode in like a little mini series that we're going to focus on on mental health. Um, this one specifically for teenagers because. Jess, I think you agree. It is truly an epidemic from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think. I think you know. Sadly, it's been on the rise amongst teenagers, just um, due to social media. I really think a lot of it has to do with social media and kind of where we are as far as the times go. But it's been. Um, even more impacted with the lockdown. And um, I've noticed it in my own children and other people's children. And yeah, I think it's a important topic that I think is becoming a little more mainstream. People are becoming more open about it, which is great. Um, because like our guest says, you will hear here shortly that you don't know unless you talk about it. So Yes. And I am, well, you said one trigger word for me there. You said lockdown, which we are going to get into because <laughs> um, I wholeheartedly believe that the lockdowns have been nothing but, uh, has nothing, has done nothing but exacerbated this whole issue, mm-hmm. this whole uh, mental health epidemic that we have. Um, and yes, it is becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, some fun statistics for you guys. So, This is going pre-pandemic. But in 2016, because Jess, you mentioned it was on the rise. In 2016, um, of the 7.7 million children at that time in 2016 that had treatable mental health disorders, about half did not receive adequate treatment. And Mm. And then between 2011 and 2015, Youth psychiatric visits to emergency departments for depression, anxiety, and behavioral challenges increased over those four years by 28%. So think of going from 100 kids to 125 kids over the course of four years with some type of having to go to the emergency department for depression, anxiety, or a behavioral challenge. And then you want one more statistic, Jess? I I have plenty. 
Yeah. Yeah. I want to know what now from then until now with the lockdowns and pandemic and all that. Yep. So here we go. So this is the, this again, this was the last one leading up to the last stat leading up to uh, the pandemic. And this is all coming from the Surgeon General's report, which was released last week. For those of you who were unaware, um, it's like 50 pages long. It's it's a pretty good read. We're going to talk about a little bit more in this episode, but um, must be something if the Surgeon General talks about it, right? So from, from 2007 to 2018, suicide rates among the youth between the ages of 10 to 24 so we're a little bit beyond teenage years, but 10 to 24 years old in the United States increased by 57%. Wow. Over 11 years. That's over 11 years. I'm sorry. I yep. missed that part. I thought yeah. that was, I thought that was like between then and the lockdowns. I was like, holy moly, that's worse than I thought. <laughs> oh, well, Jess, you know, I'm a planner, right? I'm the nerd, as we talked yeah. about in the first episode. So I have another statistic for you. Okay. All right. So this was, and I shared this on our Instagram today, uh, well, on Wednesday, the day of this recording. This is from the Surgeon General Report. It says, recent research that covered 80,000 youth globally found that depressive and anxiety symptoms doubled during the pandemic, with 25% mm. of youth experiencing depressive symptoms and 20% experiencing anxiety symptoms. And just thing too, that's just the numbers that are being reported. Right. Yeah. Like you, like I believe you said, it's no one knows if you're struck. No one knows if you have something going on mentally, mental health that needs mm -hmm. to be addressed unless you talk about it. Um, maybe there's something in your behavior that could send alarm bells for other people and they might notice, but the likelihood that someone's going to come up and approach you and be like, Hey, you know, is something going on? I would say that is yeah. not so likely to happen. So it's, it's on the individual, right? So like you said, how much is actually being reported? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, w I was listening to a Charlie Kirk. Um, he was at a church and he was talking about the lockdowns and he said, you know, we will look back on this time as the, or the lockdowns will be looked at as one of the worst mistakes, one of the worst mistakes we have ever made. Um, as far as like just our culture and our kids go, like it, it, it will be looked at as like, what were we thinking? We should never have ever done that because there were so many consequences to it, not just mental health, but there was just so many consequences to it. We're going to look back and think, oh my gosh, I mean, even just from my own personal experience, you know, I have three boys ages 14, 13, and nine. And um, I saw a huge decrease in their education. Just, you know, if I'm just looking at that alone, and every single teacher I've talked to this year thus far is like, you know, hey, your kid's far behind in this or far behind in this. But then they're like, they always follow it up with, don't worry, it's literally every kid they're all behind. Um, so it's just, you know, it's very sad that this is where we've come, unfortunately, with all of this. And our guest today is actually going to be talking about how 
to help deal with mental illness um, in your church and at home with your kids. And I think she is just going to be a really great resource resource for you guys and how you can help not only your kids, but kids in your community. And her name is Hope, and we are so excited to have her on. Yes, thank you for having me. And if you could just uh, start us out by telling us what all you are involved in regarding mental health. Um, well, I work heavily with my youth at church. Um, and that's a big thing that I've noticed with them is as they've been able to open up to me more, um, is how prevalent it is with many of them, not just a few of them, but it's been several of them. Um, and just dealing with sadness and just not knowing what to do with their feelings in general. Um, and you know, they've let me know that they don't know how to talk to their parents. They don't know they can talk to their parents. And, um, you know, I know when I was growing up, it was, we talked about a lot of things, but mental health was not one of them. Um, and since I started dealing with it from the age of 14 and on, I feel for these kids and I just want them to have an open space to come and talk because it's very much needed. And so that's a big part of my involvement right now. Well, that's wonderful that you are, that you're doing all of that. Um, I know for me, mental health, I don't even, I can venture to say, I mean, I obviously don't remember everything from childhood, but I don't think that was ever a topic of discussion. Um, so it is good that more and more people like yourself are there for those kids who do need to have, have that discussion. So hope you work with, you work with young kids, Hope, but what ages do you work with? Well, I kind of work with all of them. I work with the kiddos, you know, on Sundays and stuff like that. Um, but I mainly invest in the lives of uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers. So sixth okay. to 12th grade. Okay. And this is just through your church, you said? Mm-hmm. Yep. Through my church. Okay. That's awesome. That's cool. Do you feel like um, these kids, like social media is playing a huge role with um, effects on mental health in these young kids these days? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's just too much. I mean, there was enough comparison when I was growing up, you know, before we had this stuff. Um, But now they can compare themselves on every level. Um, Mm -hmm. The emotional side is just so intense and you know, you only see the the happy stuff. I tell them, I'm like, these people are going through stuff just like you. But, mm-hmm. you know, they, all they see is how good looking someone is and how perfect they look. And I'm like, um, it probably took them hours to get that. And it's probably photoshopped. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's, it's constant. And it's just constantly in their face. At least when I went home from school, I could get away from it. But it's like in their hands at all times. Yeah, I can't even imagine like even just being an adult and having social media. I can't imagine being that age and having gone through that. Like when your mind's still developing, like I even catch myself now with filters and stuff and thinking like, oh my gosh, like I just don't even, you know, like I feel like I can't even look at myself without a filter anymore. And that's where I'm like, I'm 35 years old, you know, like, (laughs) and I can't imagine being 14 or 15, especially a girl. I feel like girls really struggle with that a little bit more than boys, but yeah, that's, that's really, that's tough. Yeah. And I was, uh, I have a friend of mine, she shared something with me where it showed like, um, 
girls today putting like doing selfies of themselves and with their friends and just how gorgeous they look and then they showed pictures of like our age you know when we had it and we just we look like idiots taking pictures of each other but i told her it's like it's because we there was going to stay between friends so we could be ourselves but now they post it for the world to see so they want to look perfect yeah yeah that's tough and i think a lot of that is tough you know as parents, we have to have those conversations with our kids that this is a highlight reel of somebody's life. It's, you know, like you said, edited, photoshopped, all the things. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to share some statistics that I pulled from the Surgeon General's report that came out this past week. Um, This is said up to one in five children ages three to 17 in the U.S. have a reported mental, emotional, developmental or behavioral disorder. And then another statistic that really caught my eye. I mean, there are plenty of them and Jess, you and I are going to get into them a little bit more after this, after this interview with hope, but another one, especially regarding the, the female topic, uh, or female mental health. And I know mental health is more than just, um, it's from the smallest of things to the very worst of things. Like as far as a result, ultimate result, I guess you could say would be the worst being suicide. So, This statistic said in early 2021 that emergency department visits in the United States for suspected suicide attempts were 51% higher for adolescent girls and 4% higher for adolescent boys compared to that same time period in 2019. So Hope, my question for you is with your involvement at your church with with the teenagers, do you see that or do you do you believe that more girls are struggling with mental health issues than the boys. And I understand that boys could be, could be struggling too, but maybe they're just not as open about it. What's your experience been? I mean, honestly, I think girls do struggle with it more. And to tell you the truth, um, girls are less likely to actually show signs of it. Really? Um, Only because we are so good at masking things where boys um from just from my experience um i guess it's it's more noticeable when they're acting out and stuff like that they're more even like self-consciously more willing to let you know something is wrong um now they may not always be willing to share but usually in general comes more out into their actions or girls, we can cover it up a lot easier. Because, I mean, I hid my struggles from my parents for at least 10 years. And when I told them something was going on and what it was, I mean, like, they knew, but they didn't know how severe it had been. And a lot of people at school, and when I talked to like, other family members, and I've, you know, I've been very open with them and told them what's going on, they were all very shocked. Like, they were like, really? Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I know what's going on with myself, so that that statistic doesn't surprise me. So, Hope, what are so you told us what you're doing now, and you we've talked about you know some of the issues regarding mental health that you, that you've seen and mentioned some statistics that came from the Surgeon General's report. Um, but what are you doing next? Like, what is what is the what are the next steps looking into the the near future? Maybe like the next three, four, five, six months up to a year for, for you and your involvement with, with mental health? 
Well, the biggest thing I'm working on, it's just developed in the past few weeks, which has been totally a God thing. How it has all come together is I want to start a mental um, mental health mission, um, mental health ministry at church. Um, I've gotten together with a couple of moms who have young sons in their early 20s who deal with stuff. Um, and I think like my big thing is neither mom knew that the other one was dealing with this. Um, so I want the ministry to be as much as I want people who are going through everything to have a safe place to come and um, have a place where they can be open and honest and be themselves. I also want a ministry for the caregivers um, because as they told me, you know, it's hard for them to talk to other people about it because at the end of the day, it's not their story to tell. Like it's not for the moms to go run and tell all about their sons, but if they've got a friend who's going through the same thing, they can easily talk about it because then they understand each other as well. Um, you know, if you, if you don't go through mental health or have had issues, it's really hard to understand what someone is talking about. But if I can have a place for people to come where others are like them and, um, you understand the pain and you understand the struggles. Um, and I really want the church to be more involved because for me, having Christ in my life has literally saved my life. Um, from when I wanted to, you know, commit suicide at 14. So I want people to find that same hope and that love that I was able to find how, how, while how I'm still here today. The church has evolved maybe from like when you were 14, <clears throat> struggling with <clears throat> mental health issues to now, as far as talking about mental health, because I, I do feel like, a, like the church lacks a little bit in that area. And I'm not sure if it's just um, like not having a full understanding or, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure what the answer is there, but I do think that is a place that the the church as a whole struggles in. They don't really know how to approach it. Um, and somebody explained it to me like this one time, you know, when you have like a physical injury, like you break your leg or you break your arm or whatever, you, people know, they can see it's, it's right there in your face and they can help you heal and help you through that. But when you have a mental health crisis, it's not always quite as, um, people don't know unless, unless you say. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are as far as the church being involved as a whole and how they can continue to be involved in the future. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of a, a twofold thing. Um, I think first of all, right. If you're not open and honest about it, uh, which if you're not comfortable talking about it, you feel like you're going to be judged. You're not going to, um, I do think the church, because it's become, I think just in our society in general, it's mm -hmm. become something you talk about more. So I think the church has had to learn how to talk about it. Um, and along with that, though, I think the other part of it is a lack of education and understanding what mental health really is. And it's not something that you can just pray away. It's not something that you're mm -hmm. just not trusting in Jesus enough, like, yeah, prayer is a huge part of it. It it definitely can be. But for some people, mm -hmm. for like me, like it's going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. Like I can't change my brain chemistry. I do take my medication, but there's always, I'm always going to have some hard times. And, you know, sometimes it is situational. Yeah. Um, you can work through it, but you still have to have that support. Um, so, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're getting there. At least I definitely know in my church, mm-hmm. we are becoming more open about it and willing to talk yeah. more about it. But there's still, I just think, yeah, for sure. And I really commend you to Hope for starting that ministry in your church. I think that's huge. I think um, a lot of people really just depend on their pastor or people in leadership to handle these situations. And really, you know, churches, community and getting involved with one another and creating these side ministries and not leaving it all to pastors or elders or anything. So that's huge. I'm I really hope people are inspired by you listening to this episode and they do that in their own home churches because that's really great and kudos to you. Right. And and I think it's great. I mean, that's why our, our pastors are there, our deacons and elders, our sessions are there is to help us. But if none of them have ever dealt with it, they are had been impacted right. by it. They don't know what to do with it either. And even if they have, They've got so many other things on their plate. It may not be at the top of their list. So it's at the right. top of somebody's list, something they want to do, just take, do it. You know, just God will provide. And it's something that, if it, um, that will come together. Absolutely. Because I think there's a need for it a lot more than people realize. Like I've had so many people That's so on awesome. board for this that I was not expecting. And it's been really great. Yes, it is. Well, Hope, thank you so much for for joining us um, and sharing everything with us. We hope that you will keep us up to date with this new ministry that is uh, starting. And um, congratulations for that. Definitely. And also, um, we hope and pray that it will be successful um, and that God will continue to work through you to help these uh, to help these uh, children, these teenagers who need who yeah. need this the most. Brian, can we maybe put, are you okay with this hope if people want to reach out to you on how they can maybe start their own ministries in their home churches, if that's something they're interested in? Are you okay with them reaching out to you um, on how to go about that? Oh, definitely. 100%. They can, uh, they want to DM me on Instagram. Um, I am hope.thebeauty.eason. Um, and I think Brian's going to put a link in the description and everything, but yep. I'm open to anyone who wants to talk about that, who wants to talk about mental health, awesome. who's struggling with something and they need someone to go to, I'll be there. And yeah, I don't, may not know all the answers, You're awesome. but if I don't, I'll find answers if I can. So yeah, hit me up. Yes. And yeah, Hope, we'll put your, <laughs> your Instagram handle in the, in the uh, show notes so everyone can find you. Um, hope.thebeauty.eason on Instagram. And again, thank you so much for joining us. This is the first episode and kind of like a mini series that we're, that we're doing on mental health. Uh, we're going to do like teenagers, adults, and then I think kind of round it out um, with the third episode. Jess and I are still putting that uh, to paper, so to speak. So, but thank you again, Hope, for, for joining us. And and we look forward to seeing what comes of this new ministry and and your involvement uh, as it continues in, with mental health. Thank you so much, Hope. Yes, thank you. I really appreciate it. So Jess, I really enjoyed our conversation with Hope there. It's fantastic what, what she's doing uh, in her local community. And I really hope that with the sharing of, with this release of this episode and then sharing, you know, her Instagram information in the show notes that people who listen to this or know someone who knows somebody or has a child 
um, you know, or a parent that they know a fellow parent who could use the information from this episode or could use Hope's help. I really hope that everyone um, reaches out to Hope and contacts her like she is, you know, like she welcomed to make this a community effort when battling this, this epidemic. Yeah. I think what's great about what Hope is doing too is it helps people. People don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can lean on one another, learn from one another, grow from one another. And um, if that's something you are interested in doing in your community or your church, I highly recommend um, getting involved with her and having her help you do that because I think it's important to, uh, like what we were saying in the episode, the interview with Hope is um, a lot of times I think people that attend church solely depend on their pastor for everything. And we are the body of Christ. It's not just our pastor. And so it's important for us to really be a community, especially when it comes to mental health. Yes, 100%. We need to be involved ourselves, right? And, and not just rely on one, one person because only one person can only do so much. Yes. But just before the interview, you triggered me with the use of lockdown and I, so I have a, I've, I have a few thoughts on the lockdowns and uh, tell me what, tell me what you think here. Okay. And again, I know you experienced this firsthand with your own kids being out in uh, deep blue California. Um, and I'm here in Florida, a, a free state with Ron DeSantis <laughs> um, and everyone we're working on getting Jess over here to Florida yeah, or at least maybe to Texas somewhere a little bit closer um, somewhere red, but somewhere red. That's a that would be lovely. <laughs> but lockdown. So, Jess, I'm going to rattle off some things, and you tell me if this was true for your kids. Okay. So I started thinking about it. What all did teenagers lose? What all did they miss out on during these these school lockdowns? And these lockdowns mm. started in like March of 2020. And did you? And there are still some states or municipalities school districts that are still locked down locked for school. Down. And and we are 21 months past the start of the pandemic. But I started listening, started thinking about what did a teenager miss out on? You know, mm-hmm. what are the things like Jess, you and I got to do when we were in high school that these kids are not getting to do or did not get to do? Right. Uh, school dance. I think you have maybe maybe one of your sons would have had an eighth grade dance. Did that did that happen? It did not. They're a little too young, but I remember graduation ceremonies. I remember some of my coworkers, they had kids that were going to be graduating high school and they had to do the whole drive through the neighborhood sitting, you know, like mm-hmm. sticking their head out, like standing on their front porch with their classmates driving by and honking at them to celebrate their graduation. Yes. That did happen here. Not with my boys, but that did happen here. They for kids for sure missed out on in-person learning, uh, the in-person interaction face-to-face with their students and also their classmates. Mm-hmm. Did your boys get to participate in any extracurricular activities through school? Or if they played any sports for the school, did they get to participate in sports? No. In fact, the only uh, sport that we participate in is we do dirt track racing like junior sprint cars, if anybody's familiar with that. And our whole thing just completely shut down when the pandemic happened. We didn't race the whole year, which was such a bummer. It's something that we really look forward to and bond as a family. And that was really super hard. And I know there wasn't really 
any other sports, not that I know of going on during that time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember high schools shutting down and then like on the college level, it was ramping up. Everyone was trying to see whether or not college football season was going to happen in 2020. And it, got, mm-hmm. it was pulled off and they had the season, but it started like a month late and then went, went a month longer and they shortened the season and had all these protocols. Mm-hmm. So, so students missed out on dances, graduation ceremonies, in-person learning, in-person interaction with their friends, depending on the amount of, I guess, um, depending on their each individual parent, they could also have missed out just on hanging out with friends at their own home, Yeah, um, missed out on extracurricular activities, sporting events. And on top of that, maybe they even lost a loved one during COVID and could not go and see them in the hospital yeah, or even attend their funeral. Remember that? Yeah. Do you remember those stories going taking place in 2020? People couldn't even visit someone in the hospital to say goodbye? Yeah, I do. I remember. And I was, to, piggy, to piggyback off of that, I was listening to a psychologist in preparing for this episode with you. And she was saying that um, kids getting together with other kids is actually between the ages, I forget, I think it was between the ages of 11 and 14. She said that time period um, with kids and interacting with other kids is actually more important than family bonding time, which I thought was super interesting. Yeah, I was like, wow, that, I mean, if you think about it, you think back to your age and being that age, I'm like, yeah, that kind of actually makes sense. You know, you're like, you're so you're very peer focused and friend. Fo- I mean, at least I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know how you, I don't know how you were, but that was huge. That was a big deal to me. I'm just wondering if you're going to share that tidbit with your sons because it's going to come back to haunt you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. Right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but mom, you said hanging out with our friends is better than family time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. But I mean, you think about it, it makes sense. Like we grow from our peers, we learn from our peers. You know what I mean? Like there's so much that happens there that is very valuable in a, in a child's life, not only for that time, but for the future. And we just took all of it away. We just stripped it all away, put them in front of a screen. Um, it's just horrible that we did that to our kids, unfortunately. I mean, think of, think about how big a part of, of a teenager's life school is. So mm-hmm. let's just assume the child, the child is going to school five times a week and they're there for around six hours in a day. That's basically school being one quarter of the student's day, five times a week. So all the education and social aspects that they're missing out on, it's like, it's incredible the amount of, of like you were saying, just just development that comes from that, not just like from a, an academic standpoint, but social development, emotional development, um, behavioral development that was taken away because they, they couldn't have that normal interaction that they're used to and need to have as a, as a growing teenager. Yeah. Not only that, I think a lot of things, what I thought about a lot too during the pandemic was think about the kids that, um, school is their only place of solace. Like they may have a very bad home life where they're not being fed, they're not being taken care of, and they go to school, they get one meal a day that they know that they can count on. Um, It's a safe environment for them with friends and teachers. And we stripped all of that away. I actually think not only mental health, 
but abuse went up, uh, or I'm sorry, the numbers statistically went down because it wasn't being reported because do you know who reports that stuff? Teachers, teachers report it. So it went, it went down, but it wasn't a good thing that it went down because it just means it wasn't being reported. These, these abuses that happen in homes. And that's also a very scary thought along with mental health. Right. Uh, yeah. Like you're saying, school is the one area of solace for a kid's life um, in their day-to-day life. And actually one of the, one of the things included in this Surgeon General report, they, they called it the risk factors contributing to youth mental health symptoms during the pandemic. And one of the items they list is experiencing more adverse childhood experiences such as abuse neglect, community violence, and or discrimination. Mm. And like you said, if a parent is abusing a child at home, they're not going to tell them themselves. Right. And the student's not going to be able to leave the house to be seen at school for a teacher to ask the questions because I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a teacher is one of the professions where they have to They have to report, report that. Right. And I think you and I talked about this on another episode, and I can't remember which one, but there's a lot of conservatives right now that, you know, well, we should be pulling our kids out. Um, you know, everybody should be homeschooling, all of that. And I, I've always said from the very beginning, I'm like, I think if you can homeschool, um, that's great. But I think the reality is, is that's not always a viable option for every, you know, family across the United States. The reality is just like, not everybody can do that. Um, especially here in California where I am. Mm -hmm. As you know, it's very expensive to live in California. And a lot of the times families need a two income household just to live here. Um, And it's just not feasible to think that everybody can homeschool. Again, I am totally for it. I think if you can, that's great. But our schools are so important, not only for your kids, but for other people's kids for these reasons where we're talking about mental health and um, Mm -hmm. education and safe places and all that kind of stuff. So I I always try to encourage people, don't just throw the, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to public school, um, because it's not just your kids that are being affected. It's also other people's kids. And um, these are our future generations that we're talking about. And it's important that we care about them. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my kids are too young they're not, they're not even school age yet, but I know if they were school age, my wife and I still would have had to work. My coworkers, um, they had their, their children at home ranging anywhere from elementary school age to a senior in high school during 2020. Um, and to be honest, growing up, I don't even know if I had a friend that was homeschooled. Maybe I had one. Mm-hmm. And looking back at my own experiences, I wouldn't have wanted to be homeschooled. No mm-hmm. offense to my parents or anything, but but the friends that I made, I made either at school playing sports, which was through the school or like when I was younger, maybe like a city baseball league or something like that and church. Mm-hmm. So like you were saying, like, just don't just say no to public school because it seems like on the right, like the popular thing to do, just homeschool everyone. Public school, private school is very important mm-hmm. um, to like the life, the lifestyle and just the development, friends and, and, and otherwise. 
for most kids. I know it yeah. was for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not for it pulling everyone out of schools. Um, there should be improvements in schools, right? And that's probably a different topic later on down the road. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not for pulling everybody out of school for sure. Right. I think if anything, too, this, this, the pandemic has woken a lot of uh, parents up, I think, to realize, hey, it's time that we be more involved in what our kids are learning and um, in our school systems. And I think that that is happening. So that's a plus in all of this. <laughs> right. And, and I don't, I, don't, I hate to phrase it this way, but there has to be someone or some, some people to blame, right. Mm -hmm. For, for the school shutdowns. I mean, the way our country's set up, the individual States have a, they're like, they have the power to, to do things for their state that like the federal government can't do. One state's not the same as the other. Um, the experience here in Florida for kids is much different than the experiences in like New York or Illinois, like, you know, Chicago, um, in California, which you can obviously speak to. Right. But one thing we kept hearing about was, you know, the, the politicians within those States that had the severe lockdowns and the teachers unions mm -hmm. and the teachers unions. And for those of you who followed this closely, you may remember, and I did, I included this in one of my earlier episodes. I'll have to maybe, try to remember to include it in the show notes, but the teachers unions or at least the AFT, the American Federation of teachers was caught, um, in, was caught influencing the CDC's recommended school guidelines. They were caught, like they had the receipts within emails of, um, tweaking and recommending, or you could say forcefully <laughs> using their power to, to influence the CDC guidelines regarding schools and school closures and, what to do within school if you're six feet apart or three feet apart and all these other things. And I don't know if you know this, Jess, but the American Federation of teachers includes just more, more than teachers. So I'll, I'll say that, mm -hmm. but there are 1.4 million members. And this includes teachers for pre-K through 12th grade, paraprofessionals and other school personnel, higher education, faculty and professional staff, federal, state, local government employees, nurses, and other healthcare professionals. That's the second largest union. And then the largest teachers union is the National Education Association, or NEA. And they have approximately 3 million members. Wow. And I remember hearing the teachers union saying, oh, like, we need to make sure our teachers are protected. We need to make sure they're protected. Yeah, we'll get back in school as long as these demands are met. And, you know, like air filtration systems and plexiglass around the desks and masks and all these things that that they're like their list of demands. But through all that, and you talk, tell me from your kids' experience, did it ever once sound like they were concerned about the well-being of the children? No. No. And, you know, and it's so silly. They're still, they're still not. Um, unfortunately, you know, being California, my kids are still subjected to wearing masks in school. But I mean, most of the time they're pulled down, they're, they're walking around. I was talking with my oldest son about this. Uh, he's in high school. And I'm like, 
I'm like, they're, they're swapping spit in the bathroom. They're sharing, you know what I mean? They're doing all these things in high school, but it's like, put your mask on. <laughs> like, it's so silly, you know? And they, they, they don't. It's the masks and all of it is such a huge political theater. It's unbelievable at this point. Um, yeah. It's all, follow the dollars, folks. It all comes down to money. Yeah. And, and I mean, don't get me, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say like, you know, health isn't important, but statistics show that kids in these age ranges are at a basically zero risk right. of dying from COVID unless they have a comorbidity. Right. Um, and the teachers, they've had their vaccinations, right? If they chose to get them. So that goes back to the, the age old argument of, you know, if you're, if you're protected and you got the vaccine to be protected, then why do you care about what I'm doing, right? Um, so to speak. So, like, why, why are we not opening up? Why, are, why are not all the schools opening up? I looked at this some, some data or data, as others say. There are still states and local municipalities that, and you just talked about masks for your kids, but there are still states that have hybrid learning, online and in person. In December of 2021. Yeah. Two weeks to slow the spread. And did you know that these kids are more at risk of dying in a car accident on their way to school than actually dying from COVID? Yeah. Or suicide, sadly. Yeah. We, yeah. What was that? What was that statistic I read during Hope's interview? 6,600 suicides among the 10 to 24 year old age group in 2020 alone. That's an estimate. Right. So that number could be higher. 6,600 deaths. So, so what I want to know is, I guess it's up to us and people like Hope to take it into our own hands to make sure that our kids are being cared for the way they're supposed to be cared for by the leadership across each and every single state and each municipality and district within those states. Like, is that what is that what we're left with? Because we can't trust the leadership to follow the true science that exists out there that shows these kids need school for their mental health. I mean, sadly, I feel like that's what's what we've been doing from the beginning. Well, a lot of us, you know, is we kind of realized that we do have to take this into our own hands and, um, you know, ultimately your health and your child's health isn't, up to the government or leadership to be taken care of anyways. It's up to you as a parent and you doing what's best for your child, recognizing what the signs of mental health distress are so that you can look for those in your own child. Um, yeah. It's, it's up to us as the parents. And I think more people are waking up to the fact that we do have to take things back into our own hands. And hold these people in leadership accountable and vote them out in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> well, California was supposed to recall the governor, but what happened? Oh my gosh. You know, we could do a whole episode on that because, well, I won't say what I think online right now, but <laughs> yeah. Yes. Do not make me, do not make me check the E for explicit. <laughs> make, Jess. I'm going to edit, <laughs> edit this out. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what, though? I 
the fact that it was even on the ballot to recall Newsom is huge. The fact that that even got that many signatures is huge. And um, I know a lot of people love to hate on California because I see it in my comment section every single day. <laughs> people not realizing I'm from California. Um, but there are a lot more patriots here than people realize. There's a lot more. And the fact that we even have 38% of the vote that wanted him gone is is pretty big. I mean, it wasn't like, I, I know they like to say like, oh, Newsom won in a landslide. Not really. He really didn't win. In, I mean, he, he won, you know, he got a big, large percent of the vote, but a landslide would have been like, in my opinion, like, oh, he only got 5% only wanted him out. No, 38% wanted him out. So. So real quick, jumping back to accountability and like the parents need to be accountable and kind of take ownership of what's going on in their, their kids' lives and everything. Um, and setting their kids up for success and support. I do have one bone to pick with parents, not all parents, but some parents. So I mentioned that surgeon general's report and I'm reading through it. You know, it's got a lot of good stuff in there. Um, you know, stuff that seems just very statistical data based, you know, nothing political, no left, no right. Just, you know, shooting straight down the middle. Mm-hmm. But then there are a couple of things in there that get sprinkled in and I'm like, oh, well, that seems political. But tell me if you agree, because I know we didn't talk about this before this episode. So some of the responsibility I'm putting on parents has to do with some of the things that have taken place that took place during 2020 and now in 2021 from a like on a societal level. Mm-hmm. So you tell me because you're more more experienced parent than me. But my thought is parents need to do the best they can to guard their children from stuff that's going on in the world or in this country, the United States of America, that might, that would be considered too much for a child at their age level to process emotionally. Because the Surgeon General's report talked about how the death of George Floyd, um, could have an impact on mental health, how discrimination could have an impact on mental health, which I agree with discrimination. Like that's legit. It talked about how, um, climate change could have an impact on mental health. It talked about how, um, the rise in violence against, against Asian Americans because of China virus could have an impact on mental health. It talked about how, it mentioned how um, the large, I think, I think the word it used was large, number of black Americans who have died at the hands of police as a way to, I guess, um, negatively impact the mental health of teenagers. And I'm sitting here thinking like, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, so what, why can't certain parents just not expose their kids to things that are going on in the world? Well, this is what I'll say. Where's the responsible parents to shield their kids from some of the stuff that's going on? Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I, um, I see the political side that the surgeon general is trying to hit there, but I will say, um, it's impossible for our kids to be shielded from that a hundred percent. I mean, I hear my kids talking about stuff all the time with their friends that, 
you know, I know that they've heard at school or from peers or um, wherever, you know, and it's impossible for them to not, not absorb any of that. I mean, I've heard my middle son say, oh, somebody said something racist at school. I'm like, I don't ever remember hearing, like having those conversations in eighth grade, you know, but it's impossible for them because our culture has made everything about race and everything about, you know, um, equality. And I mean, they, they're in gross, it's in critical race theory, believe it or not, is in their schoolwork, whether we like it or not. And I think it's up to us as parents, and this is where parents come in, where we have those conversations with them and say, this is why this is going on. This is what we believe biblically, you know, discrimination and racism is never okay. This is the narrative that's trying to be, we have to have those conversations with our kids, especially if you have a little bit like middle, I mean, your kids, maybe not so much because they're so young right now. But with my kids being in junior high and high school, I have to have those conversations with them all the time because they're so engrossed in it. It's everywhere, all just like it's around all of us as adults. It's around them, too. But can I make the argument that that the parents have some sort of responsibility to whether it's have certain kind of restrictions on their social media usage or um, things like or like what's being discussed in the in the house or what they're watching on TV? Don't. Can, can oh, I make that 100%. argument or is that just like... No, 100%. But again, it's so engrossed in our culture right now that I think like even if you took every social media and TV video game and everything away, they're going to hear it at school and it's going, it's in their curriculum, a lot of it, you know, their teachers are talking to them about it. My one, my one, um, my oldest kid last year, I actually pulled him out and put him in. It was like a part-time homeschool part-time you go to school two days a week um thinking that would be a little bit more educational he'd be able to be around students whatever and uh his teacher was constantly talking he would come home and tell me oh my teacher talked about this my teacher talked about that he has a lgbtq flag hanging in his classroom i mean so again even if you and i do think as a parent it is your job like you said to parental constrictions all that on social media and video games and but again, like it's impossible to shield them from all of that, nor do I think you should shield them from all of that because eventually they're going to have to figure out where they stand on these issues. Fair. That's valid. Good point. So I have a secondary argument <laughs> before mm-hmm. we close out this episode. So, cause I'm looking for some type of responsibility, right? Um, mm-hmm. A root cause. Maybe I'll put uh, Kamala on it. Um, then I think it, I think there also needs to be some responsibility on the, the leadership within our country, the political leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think of that, I'm thinking all the hyperbole that they use when they talk, especially when it comes to climate change. Climate change isn't, what's, what's the word you hear all the time? Existential. That's always the term used when it comes to any kind of quote crisis that you hear. Existential, which means it's a threat to our existence. Well, climate change, last time I checked, I think going back at least two years is supposed to in the world, basically, within 10 years. Aren't we supposed oh, to no, be gone Jess, by on. now? <laughs> well, here, this is rich, right? So we hear existential. It's a crisis. You know, that waters are going to flood over the ports of Miami and just flood the entire state of Florida. And I'm going to sink into the abyss of the Atlantic and Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf of Mexico. And I'm going to be down there with the mermaids doing this podcast here in a few years. Yeah. But 
what because it's hyperbole right and here's a perfect example we hear that like eight to ten years right and then there's irreversible damage did you i don't know if you saw this but last week i saw a headline the biden administration has set a new goal for net zero emissions can you guess the date oh no 2024 (laughs) nope 2050 30 years from now i thought we're supposed to be dead by then (laughs) okay i'm laughing so if um, we're not so where's the responsibility on the leadership in this country and from stop using so much hyperbole and freaking these kids out right if you can't protect the kids from absorbing what's out there in the news and going on in society stop using so much hyperbolic language to where they read a headline and they're thinking holy crap i'm in i'm in sixth grade and i'm i'm going to make it to the end of college and then my life's going to be over like what right right okay i'm laughing because i don't know if you saw the thing that i shared yesterday by rob schneider um, I'll just read it really quick. It says, if Jesus- I did not, I did not. So, okay. It says, if Jesus came back tomorrow, all news about his return would be immediately banned on Twitter and Facebook. And a YouTube fact checker would put on warning labels and redirect views to the CDC and the government warning of global warming. Okay. So Rob Schneider tweeted that out the other day. <laughs> I shared it. Okay. I also shared it on my Facebook, which I don't share much on Facebook anymore. Facebook. I kid you not, Brian, they put a um, banner on it with a link that says, see how the average tempers- temperatures in your area is changing. Explore climate science info. They put a climate change oh banner on that post. I'm like, you are, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you can't make it up. You cannot uh, make it up. Guests, even though Jess is not heavily involved on Facebook, we do have a Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. So check that out. But they put a banner because you mentioned, oh my gosh. Because I mentioned climate change. I've never had a climate change banner on any. I was like, oh, that's new. That's fun. Right. With this new release for Facebook, climate change banners. But yeah, so I'm just looking for some type of responsibility um, Mm -hmm. from the adults, right? Because we're talking about teenagers here. If it's just, even if it's shared responsibility, some responsibility with the parents having conversations and being, you know, in tune to what's going on with their children's lives and filtering out the bad as much as they can. And if they can't, then having those conversations to help the children shape their arguments and fight, figure out what they believe. Mm-hmm. And then from our politicians, stop speaking. Like everything is so drastic. Like right. the, the world is going to end if this one thing is not taken care of. There can only, I feel like there can only be so many truly existential threats. And right. then can we like put a limit, like a time frame on what exactly is existential? <laughs> no I mean, kidding. Oh my gosh. It's supposed to be irreversible by like 2024, 2030, something like that for the climate. But yet we're not, but yet we're targeting 2050 for net zero carbon emissions. So <laughs> I'm just saying like, can we, can we show some responsibility? And that goes back to like my first episode with great power, great influence comes great responsibility. Uh, <laughs> I feel like so much I feel like so much stuff points back yes, to that. Yes. Be responsible with the platform that you have. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. And speaking of platform, one last shameless plug. We're gonna start a competition here, Jess, on Counterthought. 
Okay. Of who between you and I, between you and I can get the most followers in the next month. Well, you're probably going to win since they've shadow banned me for the next three months. And to make it fair, since you have a ginormous head start, (laughs) we're going to do it as a percentage. So not total number of people as a percentage. So if you have 10,000 and you gain 100, crap, quick math. What is that? 1%? Right. So for me, so then I, to match you, I would have to gain at, at least 1%. So I feel okay. like we should do that for the next 30 days. Which one of us can get the most followers as a percentage of our current amount in the next 30 days? So by January 15th. Game on. And yes, this is so that I can get more followers because I'm being <laughs> neglected. And in these 30 days, I'm going to watch as many uh, Instagram tutorials of how to grow <laughs> how to grow my account and our CounterThought account so that we can continue to reach more and more individuals so they can hear all this good stuff that we're talking about. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to today. I hope you enjoyed. Again, don't forget to check out Hope and um, follow her or DM her for more resources on mental health. And thank you so much. Make sure you're subscribed and we'll see you next week. Will, will, Will we be on next week? Probably not. I guess next week's Christmas. So if we don't see you, enjoy your Christmas and happy new year. Thank you, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and engage with us on Instagram at counter underscore thought on Twitter at counter underscore podcast on the counter thought podcast page on Facebook and on our website. Thank you for listening to counter thought.